All right, and let's do it. Episode 19, bring us in, Phil. Can you fucking believe it? Yes, I can. It's episode 19. Uh, let's see, what do we got? We got this this week, uh, we, we sort of seem to have a menagerie going here, which <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on with this, but if you guys hear out there, uh, you know, some animal noises, you know, barking, meowing, whatever, don't be surprised. <laughs> And there you go. <laughs> there was my dog hacking up. <laughs> okay. And he's going to continue. Yeah, yeah, well, so this will be our background. I said that I was going to make some background music or some theme music. Maybe that'll be it. Dog hacking. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the noise our audience makes, is it, Phil? It might be. It might be. <laughs> <laughs> About 45 minutes in, they're like, huh? I've, I've had too much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so here's what we're going to do. I think this week is going to be a little bit more of the um, sort of the classic themed ones. We have a few newer ones, uh, but I think this one we're going to focus a little bit more on a section that we both really like, which is sort of the 80s, early 90s sort of, you know, smaller yeah. movies kind of thing. Cornucopia. Hmm. Good word there, Phil. Indeed. All right. So let's see. Let's start off. Let's just get some of the newer stuff out of the way because I'm a little more interested in some of the older stuff. Okay. Uh, let's see. Why don't we... T- uh, oh, we'll talk about... How about Righteous Kill? You said you saw that. Um, I did. We, that was actually on just for an in- for a behind the scenes, uh, inside the actor's studio type thing. <laughs> um, last week when we sat down to report, record the podcast... Uh, Righteous Kill was just coming on, and we debated on leaving it on while we were watching it, or while we were recording, just to see how much it would actually distract us. We de- we decided against. Yeah, we decided. Thank against God it. for you, or there would have been like, huh? Yeah, like I'm trying to figure out what Bobby De Niro's doing up yeah, there. Yeah, what was that? So anyway, you said you actually watched it. I did sit down and submit myself to the picture. What was that about? Uh, okay, okay, picture. <laughs> Are you pitching this to me? Yes. Okay, no. go. Um, uh, <laughs> go. Uh, okay, so they're cops, and it's Bobby De Niro and Al Pacino, and uh, they've been cops for like 82 years, partners <laughs> together. Because, <laughs> you know, they're both like old and have guts now. They're chasing they're... Jack the Ripper when they were rookies. <laughs> even though the costume designers... Really trying hard to make you not notice that they're a little tubby and ancient, but right. Um, so they're cops. There's some killer killing uh, felons, and uh, they're trying to track down this killer and blah blah blah. And um, Donnie Wahlberg and John Leguizamo are the young upstart cops. Ooh. This is a pretty formulaic picture. Weird. John Leguizamo and Donnie Wahlberg? A pair made in heaven, man. I was going to say, what do they just call out to Central Casting? Give me a couple of also Rams. <laughs> <laughs> I need a kind of Irish guy and a kind of Hispanic dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So send over whoever's free. <laughs> yeah, whoever isn't on Broadway or something. <laughs> So go ahead anyway. Whoever sorry. wasn't on Law and Order last week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so go ahead. Anyway, so they become convinced that the younger Turks become convinced that it's a cop who's killing these felons. And they think it's Bobby De Niro. Uh-oh. And chaos and other plot uh, ensues. Machinations. 
Jones. Indeed. Ooh, that's my $5 word for the podcast. <laughs> it might be a $2.50 word. Oh, fine. I don't know if it's really a $5. It's not a Curtis Jackson 50 cent word. Haha, <laughs> but he's in the movie. That's right. <laughs> bringing it around. Segway. Okay. So anyway. anyway, it was a it was a turd. This movie was like a was like a little splat. Yeah, I've um, heard that. I really any review I've ever read or anything that I've heard about it said it was just just so bad. Yeah, it was like why you know <clears throat> they've been in two movies together uh, before and have shared one scene. Right. And uh, this movie says that they probably should have kept it that way. Really? I don't know. I mean, they're not so bad together. It's just like, well, why did you pick this tired cop vehicle to be like your movie together? Sure, yeah. And that's the thing is that I that one of the things that I had heard about it was that it was sort of like... The, the movie where they finally uh, starred together and they mm-hmm. were actually in the, excuse me, in the movie together and it was just crap. And yeah. why, why, would it, why would they pick that one to do it? <clears throat> you know? I think quite honestly because neither of them has any taste anymore and neither of them really cares anymore. Sure. They've done their bit for Oscars and what have you right. and they're kind of over it. So yeah. they just wanted a paycheck and they said, hey, cop movie and I'm working with Bobby, huh? Do it. Right, right. So they got John Abnett to direct it, who, I'll tell you, I listened to his commentary for Red Corner once yeah. and nearly shot myself from boredom. <laughs> oh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes some people are built for commentaries and some people just aren't. Well, I always think it's odd when you just have one guy staring at a screen for two hours going... Yeah, yeah that, that was a bad day. You, yeah, there's got to right. be something there to bounce off of. Sure. It's, it's almost, it's kind of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 type of thing almost. Yeah. Because if you're watching the commentary, you know, more than likely you've already seen the movie. You're not going to watch the commentary while you're watching the movie for the, for the first, first time. time. But so if you, if you have one guy just sitting there going, oh... Um, yeah, that day we had, um, you know, we had uh, cheeseburgers at Craft uh, Service. It's like, what? <laughs> Think of something better to say. You know what I mean? It's, it's almost like if, if um, you know, I was going to do this podcast by myself. People yeah. would miss you, Phil. Well, duh, because I'm the best part of the fucking show. Well, obviously, that's the, that's <laughs> the point I was making. <laughs> I mean... John Avnet is not the best part of the show. Indeed. You know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, yeah. But I, anyway, Righteous Kill, I don't know if you love those two. But for me, I think I asked the question on an earlier podcast of who's worse. Right. Bobby De Niro or Al Pacino. Uh-huh. And I think after this movie, the answer's pretty clear is that Bobby De Niro is the worst. I think that's what you said before, too. Yeah, I hate the guy. I really do. I mean, he manages to make, even the good movies he gets himself into today, he manages to lower the quality for whatever amount of screen time he's on. Like wow, um, really? Stardust, the movie with Michelle Pfeiffer and, and him and, and okay. Claire Danes. Yeah, yeah. Um, he plays a gay pirate. <laughs> and, I mean, it's supposed to be funny. And he just lowers the energy 
and sucks all the comedy out of the room. Really? And it's like, oh God, when his like 15 minutes of screen time is over, you're like, thank you, Jesus, wow. for ending we'll that. Because it's a great movie, except for those 15 minutes. Well, see, and that's funny because he's always been, well, maybe not always, but for a long time, he's been considered one of you know, the great actors out there. I think he used to be. I think it turned, when he started doing comedies, it was just like, it's all over. You know, well, and, he, yeah. and he just started phoning everything in, and he, and more and more, he just looks kind of constipated on screen. Yeah, yeah. Well, analyze this was actually there was some stuff in it where he was actually pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. That's that, when he first started doing it. You, you had, you had funny stuff, but right. then it got less and less. Funny. But see, to me, even Meet the Parents, I didn't think that was funny. I hate that movie. I know, me too. Hate it. Yeah. Well, I, we may have mentioned this at some point on the podcast, but I don't think we did. Where. Me and you both seem to have this attitude where the comedy that, especially Ben Stiller specifically, did for a while, which was all about just watching people be super uncomfortable. Right. I don't find that funny at all. I, uh, I mean, either. I mean, some of his movies are okay, like Dodgeball. I love Dodgeball. I mean, it's just so goofy. <laughs> but, the, but the Meet the Parents movie is like the biggest example of like... You know how can I, how much how much time can I spend watching this guy be embarrassed? Right, and that's not a it's not a fun feeling, you know. Yeah, because you feel like I mean, and maybe obviously a lot of people out there didn't necessarily feel this way because they were very popular. But right. you sit there and you think about God. If I was in that position, I would just want to just go and I'd you know, like bury my head in something. Yeah, right? yeah. So, okay, anyway, I think Righteous Kill has been uh, given a big fat thumbs down at yes, this point. Okay, I think so. And so has Bobby De Niro, by the way. <coughs> oh, but I was going to say that Al Pacino is much the same way because I, I watched 88 Minutes, you know, a while ago. And that was like, he was, he was phoning it in like, hey, this is a good paycheck and I'm in Portland for two months. Right. You know, and, and he just had to look confused through most of the <laughs> Shit, I could do that. I, know. I wouldn't get an Oscar for it. But you just, wouldn't have Al Pacino's voice. Hey. You know what? I could do Al Pacino's voice if I really... If Not I as to. good as, uh, what's his name, John Heater. Yeah. That guy is like yeah. eerie. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that before too. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so, so let, moving see. on. Um, I actually watched, I did watch District 9, which we talked about before. Do we didn't really talk about the movie I think so we much. just said that I'd seen it, but we didn't yeah. talk about it because you hadn't. Yeah, right. It, we, I think we talked about it on the, on the <laughs> Oscar cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really thought, I... I knew I had heard it was really good, and I had heard it was you know a great movie, and it would whatever, and it got obviously it got nominated for best picture, yeah. and I was kind of going well, I don't know, I mean I'll catch it when I can or whatever, but I finally was like, I, I'll just watch it, and I really liked it. I thought it was really really good, and I was I actually was, and I don't know why I had this sort of irrational like I don't know to be okay attitude, but I uh, I watched it and I thought it was really really good. Yeah, and. Um, I'll tell you, that's the only movie in a long time that I've seen more than once in the theater. Yeah? Yeah. Nice. I, I, I think that if, if I had to honestly pick for best picture and say the, what the real Dark Horse should be, it was District 9. District 9? Yeah. Yeah, I love Vickis Merva. That's what a great name. Yeah, what a great South African name. Right, right. <laughs> well, and the thing was, too, is that like, I thought that... Um, I guess 
I had a couple of preconceived ideas going into it that turned out to not be con- uh, not be correct, mm-hmm. which was that for one that this that the it was a uh, semi low budget movie that the effects wouldn't there would be a couple of really good effects, but then the rest of them wouldn't be so good. But I think well, throughout the effects were really pretty good. Well, yeah, because the movie the movie may have cost thirty million dollars, but when you've got Peter Jackson telling Weta to, you know, right. do the picture. Right. They're going to do the picture. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess maybe that's kind of what I thought is that they, and when it had come out, I was thinking, and I had heard, you know, oh, it's a pretty low-budget movie and stuff, and I kind of went, well, the effects are going to be cheesy and whatever. But they were actually really good. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a couple of times when he kind of went, maybe not so much, but yeah. for the most part, I thought it was it was good. The one thing I <coughs> didn't get, and, and I'm going to assume that most people that would be listening to this have seen it. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I didn't get, and if there was a, you know, spoiler alert coming, <laughs> calling all the way back to like episode five. Yeah. Um, but uh, when the alien went off into the, the, the mothership right. and took it off, uh-huh. what I didn't get was, okay, why is he not taking the rest of them with him? Well, because they the the Earthlings would shoot down the ship, ostensibly. You think so? I, um, I don't think they. And maybe I was watching it and didn't and, and missed something. But like, right. I didn't see. I didn't get that at all. Well, but there there was no way. I think it was implied that there was no way for them to sit around and go get everybody. Okay. Because, because any you know any energy they had was limited, so he was going to have to take kind of the slow boat back home. Okay. The, the open question, though, is whether he would bring help with him. You know, whether they'd come back and be pissed. Well, maybe that'll be District Nine Point Five or whatever. I think it will be. I think they are planning a sequel. Really? Yeah. Well, and the thing was too is that I thought that the guy at first was um, the 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 main character guy, the guy that got turned into sort of half an alien. Right. Well, at the end, I guess he was a full alien. Was yeah. the implication? Okay, but uh, he. Uh, at first, I just hated the guy. Like I was like, and see, I realized it was a really good, uh, it was a really good performance because at the beginning he's this sort of nerdy weirdo that is sort of real uh, gung ho in what he's doing and all this stuff, and then he gets turned into, he sort of gets turned to the other side and whatever. And I realized that at first I was like, God, I don't like this guy. And then when, at, toward the end, and when he was when he was with the aliens and everything, I went, No, that's actually a really good performance because you're not supposed to like the guy at the beginning, you know. I tell you, that movie had one of the, like, smallest little moments that's ever made me want to cry was when the, the alien was talking to his little son and was like, no, we, we've got to go live here. And he points to the little tent city on the pamphlet. And yeah. I was, oh, I was like, oh, my God, cry. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I thought, and the problem with that is, is that when you have the situation where it's this... Real foreign, in, in this case, an alien, mm-hmm. a, a real contrived uh, character that's talking to sort of like maybe their kid or something like that, mm-hmm. that it comes across as real, most of the time it sort of comes across as real manipulative or just hacky or whatever. But I think that that particular little relationship between the alien and the alien's kid yeah. was really good. Because uh-huh. it was really, honestly, it was very human. It's like, at certain times, the alien was really pissed off at his kid and was like, get down in the hole and shut yeah. up. 
And then other times he's real, you know, whatever. And it sounds weird to talk about this CGI alien having <laughs> this like relationship with his kid, but it worked. I well, I think that's that's uh, the quality of the writing, the quality of the special effects. Yeah, definitely. And I, I was really, I really think that after watching that movie, I, uh, I really kind of, I hope, and obviously it's not going to win Best Picture, but. I hope that it comes out after the Oscars that it got a fairly good vote. Mm -hmm. Because I think it was a really... And I think what would work against it is that toward the end it became more of a real action-y type of movie. Right, yeah. And, you know, with the the alien suit and he's blowing people away and stuff like that and Uh whatever. But I did think also that it made very good use of the sort of quasi uh, saving Private Ryan... Mm -hmm gritty reality stuff like you'd yeah. see the guys get shot and they'd blow up and you'd see the little splatter on the camera and, <laughs> and I thought for, I, and I think mostly probably 95% of the time that that type of effect mm-hmm. is just kind of like oh okay oh uh, yeah whatever but yeah. in that it looked I think it I think it worked I don't know I, I there I, I, lo- I, I love that movie so much and there's so many little moments that are so perfect like when um uh, we're talking about how horrible he is at the beginning of the movie um, when they when they uh, go into the, the the place where they've got all the alien pods and they're oh, just like oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah hear that pumping man hear that pumping that, that, that's, that's them blowing that's, that's them, them dying and, yeah, yeah. oh god that was terrible and I was just like this guy fuck this guy man yeah. but then by the end of the movie you're like oh come on dude go yeah, yeah. and uh, oh god when they I when they uh, are doing the experiments on his hands, yeah, and they're making him shoot the alien weaponry, and they haul out the alien, yeah, with the little target on him. I was like, "Oh my god, that's so horrible!" Yeah, because the the effects make him look so scared, and it's yeah. so good. Yeah, it is. I mean, it really is. And I honestly, I would say that 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 uh, I that would be a movie probably out of the last maybe even six months. That I've seen that the the probably the one I would recommend most to people to watch if they haven't seen it. Right. So if you haven't seen District Nine, watch it. Even if you don't think, oh, it's gonna be, oh, it's just some aliens blowing each other up and all this stuff. It's really not, and it's I it's I think it's a really, I think it's a great movie. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, if they do a sequel, which I, in a way, I kind of hope they don't, because you almost think of sequels that sort of tarnish what the first one was right but if they do a sequel and it's at the level that the first one was Mm -hmm. i would be all over it so that's my that's my impression of district nine well i guess too enthusiastic yes very much if you have not seen district nine go see it or well don't go see it well if your friend has it or something (laughs) (laughs) um you know speaking of which odd side point uh, speaking of thumbs up, I, w- I guess Time did an article on Roger Ebert. Okay. And uh, I didn't realize this, but he had, well, I knew he had, like, oral cancer. Okay. But he no longer has a lower jaw. What? That's why he's no- he doesn't do the show anymore, because he can't talk. Holy crap, really? Yeah. Wow. Kind of sad, but so he writes reviews, but he can no longer speak. Oh, well, let's get in something funny. That's depressing. <laughs> anyway, I just, it was interesting <laughs> oh, to me. It was like a little sad moment for okay. Roger Ebert. Well, Roger Ebert, get well soon. Grow a new job. <laughs> yeah. 
Is that inappropriate? Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so what else should we talk about? All right, well, let's see what we got here. We got, you know, I don't, I think we should go back, I think we should just dive right into the, this sort of the 80s stuff. We, well, I, I, actually, I want to get your opinion on Trick or Treat. Oh, I don't yeah. want to exhaust this movie. So sure, this will sure. be the third time we've talked about it on podcast. Oh, but yeah, we but... haven't had your opinion yet. Okay, okay. Uh, I watched it after we after we recorded the podcast last week. I watched it because you had given it a very positive review, and I and I thought, well, you know, I've made, I when I saw the trailer, I thought, well, you know, I can take it or leave it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I actually liked it. Uh, I'm not sure I liked it as much as you did. Yeah. Um, but holy crap, there's a couple of real strong impressions I have of that movie. For one, that was a Brian Singer produced movie mm. with the, with the comic book panels at the beginning and the end and stuff. And yeah, I'm yeah. like, okay, yeah, that's Brian Singer right there. He's a comic book. Well, guy. but it was also an homage to creep show. Sure. Sure. But then and I was like, okay, yeah, Brian Singer and his sort of cohorts. Okay. Um, I, I really liked the, uh, I really liked the sequence with the <laughs> that killed me so bad last week <laughs> with the retards in the bus, um, and I think the reason I liked it so much was the little girl, the one with the glasses. Uh-huh. She was great. Yeah. She, I mean, really, I was watching her just going, she, "You're great. You need <laughs> to be in more movies or whatever." I don't know. If maybe that was a specific movie for her or whatever. But I thought she was great. Um, I just like the little touches in that movie. Like in, I think in every sequence, pretty much, you see Leslie Bibb in her robot costume walking along with Tomo Panikowski. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those movies where, and, and I love these touches in movies, especially movies like that, where you sort of, you can catch the thread that sort of runs through it. Yeah. I really like that, and I do really appreciate that. Um, and uh, I really liked the uh, the little guy, the little... Pumpkin head guy, disturbing. Yeah, very. And I and I thought that they almost. I think they ruined it a little bit at the end when they when Brian Cox ripped his mask off and he was this weird skull pumpkin, uh, pumpkin yeah. thing. I thought he was so creepy with just a little like <laughs> the bag over his head. Yeah, yeah. And I will say though too that what I really didn't like was I didn't like the uh, the sequence or the the little section. With the with Anna Paquin and the because it was weird. I, I was thinking because I remember you watching it, remembering the podcast, going, You said they're werewolves, and I went, No, they're not, they're vampires. Oh, wait, no, now they're werewolves. <laughs> and I went, like, it, it was weird, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, I didn't particularly like that so much, but I did. I actually, overall, I think I liked the movie better than I thought it would, that's than I thought I would, right. And the little pumpkin head guy was awesome. I loved him. <laughs> and, and Brian Cox, he's always good. I don't care what he's doing, honestly. I mean, I like Brian Cox. And yeah. I don't know if maybe that's a personal preference. <laughs> but he's just, he, he always seems like he's always just, whatever he's, well, he's doing, he's invested in it. And he's yeah, just yeah. like, you know. I mean, he's, he's pretty much like the best part of um, X-Men 2. I love his general or colonel or whatever the fuck yeah. he is in that movie. Yeah, no, I just... I I uh, I just love the little pumpkin head guy, and I kept thinking, and this is just such what a uh, you know when I watch movies, I I wish I wouldn't do this sometimes, but I tend to overanalyze them a little bit. I'm like, 
how did they get this little kid in this costume and get him to tilt his head just right? Because like, <laughs> that's what it was. Either that or a midget, I guess. Yeah. But I was just like, well, midgets can tilt their heads. So can little kids. <laughs> no, they don't have movement of their neck. Even little kids that are, you know, playing retards. You know, whatever. <laughs> but I actually really did like, though... One of the things I thought was a really great touch was that the, the girl, in the section where the, the, the dead kids come out of the water, uh-huh. um, I think they were sort of trying to play it up a little bit like <coughs> the, 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 the boy that was with the group. Yeah. Not the little kid, but the, the right. older kid. Uh-huh. Uh, was she, he was sort of trying to make friends with her. Uh-huh. And they sort of connected a little bit and maybe whatever. And then when she gets in the elevator... And he's sitting there banging, please help us, help us, whatever. She just looks at him and is like, eh, go fuck yourself. And I was like, that's awesome because it, somebody else who was a little bit more hacky that was writing it maybe would have maybe said, you know, oh, she'll let him in because he made friends with her. Right. You know, or that's she's where, got a that's crush what they on him. You to think. Yeah, totally. And I was like, that, that's awesome. I'm glad they didn't do that. <laughs> All right. So quick trick or treat moment over. So what yeah, did yeah. you want to move on to? Okay, let's see. What do we got here? We're going to have to move on to... Um, okay, I'm going to have to say either Pump Up the Volume or Beetlejuice. Because I think that this one and this one... And I'm not giving it away. This is theater of the mind. <laughs> this one and this one are our two strong finishers. Okay. Yeah? Uh, well, all right. Beetlejuice or Pump Up the Volume. Come on. Uh, let's let's move see. it forward. Let's go with Pump Up the Volume because that's the one that you said that you hadn't really seen in a long time. I haven't really seen it in a long, long time. But I always remember watching it on TV when I was a kid because it was sure. on like every fucking weekend. Sure. It's well, the and this is They would play it on Channel 2, right? Or 20. But yeah. One yeah, 20. Two. Yeah. Um, but anyway. You kids outside of Denver don't know what we're talking about, but it doesn't <laughs> really matter. Um, anyway... I I rem- I just remember thinking that movie was like the best thing ever um, when I was a kid because it was such a rebel and he had his own radio station. Yeah, well, are you missing the <laughs> obvious parallel right now? Really? We have our own radio station. Oh my god, we're such rebels. <laughs> and we we're can- going to start playing Leonard Cohen. And we can swear as much as we want to. <laughs> Cock balls. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I mean, that was, I, I always remember that that's the first place I think I ever heard Leonard Cohen music. Yeah. From Pump Up the Volume. Well, and there's a bunch of weird little things in that movie, like, okay. Uh, we had talked at one point on the podcast about um, Broken Arrow and how it was a sort of an odd casting decision with Christian Slater and Samantha Mathis. Well, Christian Slater and Samantha Mathis were, you know, first united in Pump Up the Volume. Yes. And I remember thinking uh, when I first few times I watched it, I'm sure I would probably think the same thing now, is that Samantha Mathis takes her shirt off in that movie. And I don't really know that there was a giant demand... For Samantha Mathis <laughs> to take her shirt off. I doubt there was. I, I was thinking, and even when you know I was younger and watching movies on HBO, mm-hmm. and not necessarily—I mean, obviously at that time, you know, you can just go to the internet and just see whatever you wanted to, whatever it was. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, really? Like what? 
okay, well, it's awesome that she took her shirt off, but uh, I wasn't really thinking. Did I wish she would take she her shirt was, off. Though that's my question. I'm talking about just when I was just watching it. Yeah, and I was thinking, I wasn't particularly rooting for her to take her shirt off. <laughs> I mean, I'm all about anybody that wants to taking their shirt off, but at the same time, I wasn't thinking the whole time watching that movie, going, "Oh, I wish you would take her <laughs> shirt off," you know. <laughs> But okay. so anyway, okay, so then pump up the volume and we'll do this in, in reference to the older podcast where we didn't ever explain anything. Um, real quickly, uh, the, uh, Christian Slater moves out to like Ohio. Um, I, don't know, I don't know. I always thought it was like Arizona or something. Somewhere like some place that the Hollywood writers would consider Podunkville. Right. Um, from somewhere like California and his dad had bought him this ham radio set uh, because his dad thought that he needed a hobby. And so he started broadcasting this quote-unquote pirate radio show uh-huh. at a certain time every night. And you could pick it up within a certain radius uh, in the town. And for whatever reason, it got real popular. And he was like this real – he was like this Howard Stern type on the radio. But then at school – he was mm. the nerdy guy because remember he had the red books on the steps. Yeah, and he was this moody sort of weirdo. Yeah. and he had the glasses, oh. and he never wore the glasses when he did the radio show. Right, much so. like Superman and Clark Kent. Very, very <laughs> much like, <laughs> except for, well, the fact that you couldn't see him on the radio show. He could have probably been wearing a diaper and uh, you know a necktie for all anybody knew. Exactly. Okay. So anyway, so he was this cool guy on the radio, but he was this nerdy guy in school. And he was supposed to be in high school. And I don't think that Christian Slater ever actually went to high school. What? I think Christian Slater was born at 30 years old. No, well. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Thanks for shitting on my joke there, Phil. It wasn't very funny. Let's be frank. You can be Frank if you want to. I'll be and Amos. you'll be Steve. <laughs> wow, we've turned into like a 30s vaudeville team at this point. Okay, so Who's anyway. on first? Um. <laughs> so anyway, he's this nerdy guy in high school. And to Samantha Mathis, for some reason, and I don't remember why, she tends, she starts to suspect that it's well, him. Well, she, she, I think she picks up... Does, if I remember correctly, she like works in the library and notice what he's checking out, and then he like talks about it on the radio. Okay, yeah. If I remember right. correctly, yeah, you, you're probably right. And then so anyway, <laughs> and then it, there's some very weird premises in that movie though because uh, he's doing this little private radio show, and the FCC somehow finds a finds out about it, mm-hmm. and they decide they're going to crack down and they're going to track it. Well, down. it's because he takes phone calls on his on his radio show, and one of them is a kid who threatens to commit suicide, and he I think he kind of ignores the kid, and then the kid does commit suicide, and so they're searching for somebody to blame, and they blame the radio show. Okay, right. Oh, that's right, because he's in the scene, he's sort of a little bit sort of egging him on almost. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So the FCC catches wind of it. And uh, they're going to come find him and shut him down. And um, there's this ridiculous scene in that movie mm-hmm. where, uh, well, there's more than one. <laughs> but, uh, but the one thing that I did that I didn't. One I, thing? One thing. I, the, 
And this stood out to me even when I was a kid watching this movie. Uh-huh. Was that uh, he, at one point he knows that they're sort of trying to find him. Right. And he still wants to take phone calls. Uh-huh. So he somehow rigs up this cordless phone. One of those 80s, like, big fat white cordless phones with, like, the two-foot antenna. Right. And he has it in somebody's shed. Right. And they find the signal and they track it down and they go, he could be anywhere within three miles of here or something. And it's like, no, he could be somewhere within about 65 feet of there. <laughs> it was a super phone, Dale. Or Amos. Yes. <laughs> or whoever the hell I am. <laughs> I don't know anymore. I don't know anymore what I'm doing. But anyway, it's, I, I remember it being like the epitome of cool when I was like 11. Well, sure. But see, the thing that with the greatest part of that movie uh-huh. was at the end. When the he the party in the baseball diamond and they're yeah. wandering around like the ice cream truck or whatever. Yeah, but no, the, the best part, no, the very, very end where he's, he's getting arrested and he's, he starts yelling. He's like, everybody needs to do this. Everybody needs to have their own voice and all this stuff. And then so at the end, you just hear this sort of voiceover of all these people making their own little radio shows. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching that movie thinking, you know what? I want my own radio show. And now here I am, 15, 20 years later, whatever the hell it is, and I got my own podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you and every other dork in the history every of the fucking world. Every other fucking douchebag that wants to get on the internet. <laughs> but but you, you, I know exactly. Okay, let me start over. <laughs> Eloquently. Uh, Phil, that's not my strong point. Um, <laughs> But you, I think that you and me are making the same point. Mm. Is that we both want we we both sort of thought that would be awesome, you yeah. know? It only looks ridiculous in retrospect. Sure, sure. But and then the, the part where he's in the jeep with the top down, and he's got the microphone taped to himself, right. and he's whatever. It's like whatever, fine. Yeah. But um, <laughs> no, I, I anyway, mean, I, Alan Moyle. He went on to direct Empire Records. Another quality, quality picture featuring uh, Liz, uh, or um, uh, what's her name? You know that. Jesus Christ. Good Lord. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to shut up now for a <laughs> Liv Tyler? I was thinking about Liz Taylor. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Who could? I mean, they're totally the same. Yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. Anyway, that was a joke that went nowhere, much like many of my jokes. But no, I think the the point of that whole movie was is that, you know, you know, have your own voice and it would be cool that you could just get on the radio cuz at the time there was no internet. Well, right, right, right. And every and that was a true statement of 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 things. And now everybody can do it. Everybody does, and it doesn't really mean much anymore, I think. Except for this show. Of course. Obviously, we set the bar a bit above True that. True that. <laughs> <laughs> well, your response says everything. True that, yo. <laughs> Word, kid. <laughs> All right. So, okay, pump up the volume. Last impressions. I think it's great when I was 13. Actually, you know what, though? It's funny. If you, I, my last impression of it, and this is the last I'm going to say of it, is that if you go back and watch it... Uh, there's a very strong, um, it's, you would never think so, 
But I think that if you go back and watch it, and I may actually go back and watch it just to prove myself right. Right. Which I love to do because of course. I am always right, but I like to prove it. Um, <laughs> is that, if you were always right, <clears throat> you wouldn't need to prove it to yourself. Yeah. But anyway, um, anyway, go on, make anyway, your point. I'm ignoring you for that particular comment. Um, <laughs> no, no but if you watch it, if you go back and watch it, I would, I would almost guarantee that there's a very strong undercurrent of the same exact thing. Why me and you are doing this podcast right now. Why people do podcasts every day. Why the internet is where it is. Yeah. Because everybody gets a voice. The message in that movie is everybody gets a voice. Yeah. And they're going to try and keep us down. But back then it was unique and today it's passe. True. True. I won't argue with you on that one. But I, I, we I had that discussion after the podcast. Sure, after. sure. Yeah. We should have like a... <laughs> we should have an after show. <laughs> an after the podcast podcast. And we should do like a little jazz opening to it. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, the, the old crusty videos. Yeah, yeah. like interviewing Jack Parr or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay, so no. I, I, I think that um, Pump Up the Volume is oddly uh, still relevant. I think most certainly if you go back, you, you, if you, especially if you're young... Watch the picture. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good picture, especially for those yeah. who aren't a bit jaded. Sure, sure. Okay, good times. Uh, let's see. Now let's go on to Beetlegeist. Beetlegeist. Yes. Oh my god! And this came up. I I don't know why I feel the need to explain this, uh-huh. but we had this discussion about Glenn Shaddix earlier. Yes. And um, if anybody out there doesn't know who Glenn Shaddix is, you're not <laughs> you're not alone. Um, Glenn, Glenn Shaddix, I'm sorry, but... What's his character name in Beetlejuice? Trivia question. Oi, um... Come on! I, and I've you seen call this yourself a Tim Burton fan. I, I, God, I've only seen this about 5,000 times. Um, you put me on the spot here. Oh, I'm brain farting. What? Otho. Otho! Okay, I remember... <laughs> I was thinking I was just wondering if you remember oh, um, but anyway so that movie has some of the best single lines ever I mean I love Jeffrey Jones and it's too bad about the you know pedophilia or whatever but, <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate with the pedophilia <laughs> but anyway um, he's, uh, Catherine O'Hare is so good in that movie I love it when they're going through the house marking it with like mauve and then they get to his room, and he's like, if you, she says, if you do not let me gut out this house and make it my own, I will go crazy, and I will take you with me! Yeah, yeah. It's, well, like, it, it's like my favorite line. They're, they're walking around the house with spray paint. Yeah. Just marking on the walls. With and, strange, like, fuchsia colors. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> it's so funny, too, because... Those characters were supposed to be these caricatures right. of these quote unquote New York types. Right. But honestly, I doubt they were that far off. No. I, I really you're... doubt they were, you know. Yeah. And, and you know what's funny? And I don't think we talked about him on the show, but somehow we talked about him off the show. Dick Cavett is in Beetlejuice. Yes, he is. <laughs> and he has one of the best lines <laughs> when, he's, when he tells uh, Catherine O'Hara to continue inflicting her art on people. Right. Well, and then he's walking out and he says something like, you are a flake. You always have been and you always will be or some shit like that. Yep. And, um, but 
So the Beetlejuice, I think that um, one of the best things about Beetlejuice, it was the one of the very first movies where you actually had this sort of quote unquote goth character. Yeah, was ahead of the curve. Well, I mean, uh, arguably Tim Burton kind of uh, almost created the goth character, kind of. Yeah, really yeah. made it mainstream. Sure. And and the thing with the, that, with the with the Edward Scissorhands with the Wonder yeah. Rider and Beetlejuice and you know well I thought it, I I loved for so for whatever reason I loved whenever they would be in the whenever it would sort of shrink down into the model yeah. the the model of the city uh-huh. uh, and they would just I mean they would just wreck it and it would just be like and I thought it was so awesome because Beetlejuice came out when I was fairly young and I just thought it was awesome that they'd have. These sets, and I knew they were sets. I knew that they didn't shrink down, right. you know, the characters. Uh-huh. Where there was this big giant foam, like the the soundproofing foam. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, they'd be tearing it up. I'm like, that would be so much fun. I always loved the the like giant like plastic grass that was everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, then, the, the set design and the costumes are so awesome in that movie. It's great. well, and I think that Michael Keaton was spot on in that movie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with the part where he's like, he, he kicks over the tree. And he's like, nice fucking model. And he just grabs his balls. And then, <laughs> and then to top it all off, it goes honk, honk. And it's like. It's the best. And the, with, and the, uh, the, the, the scenes where they were in the, like, clearing house office of the dead. Yeah. And I was like, and I, I remember thinking too, when I was a kid, I remember thinking, oh God, um, I can't fuck myself up too bad when I die because I'll be stuck like that. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's like, I hope I die in my sleep or something because I don't want to look like those guys. <laughs> I know the run over football player. Yeah, yeah. Or no, well, wait, uh... No, there was the run over like file clerk guy right. that they actually had just on like a, lo- a zip line. Uh huh. Yeah, that was awesome. And uh, the her their uh, de- social worker had the slash throat that the, her smoke would come out. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's funny because early Tim Burton could make something that sounds so morbid. Yeah. Be actually pretty funny. Uh huh. But I think that honestly, if you asked Tim Burton to make that movie again today, yeah, to recast it. Whatever, just do it again. It'd be it a would lot be darker. It would be like creepy and weird, and nobody would like it. Yeah. Well, no, I think people would like it because people like Sleepy Hollow and and all and his newer stuff. But it would be it wouldn't be as funny. No, for sure. Well, and I love this the the secretary lady, and she's like green. Yeah. And she's like, if I knew then what I do now, I would not have done this. And she like turns her her arms over, and there her her wrists are slashed. <laughs> I'm like. That's a really morbid joke, but it was <laughs> funny at the time, you know? I don't know. It's a I, great movie. It is. I God, I didn't think there was... Uh, I thought there was more to talk about with Beetlejuice. Well, sometimes it's hard with these pictures that you love as a kid. That you just go, well, eh, it was good. And What true. more can you say about true. it? True, true. Some great casting. Uh, Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis. Um, but see, Captain that's Hall. a part that you would never... like. Okay, just to take the example of... If you were going to make that movie again now. Right. You would never even think to cast Alec Baldwin in that part. Well, he's a totally different guy now. Well, sure. But I'm just saying that who would you cast in that part now? I think you'd probably end up with somebody like Mark Wahlberg. You think? 
I, yeah, I think I think honestly, you'd you'd end up with someone fairly boring. No, and okay, Mar- maybe not. Who would they cast? Who would you cast? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> You're like fuck it. I don't. I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> well, no, I'm trying to think of who I would cast in that part at this point. It's, it can't be somebody too young. Right. Can't be like Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Of course, the problem is, is that they if they were making that to. movie, they would put Shia LaBeouf in that part. Right. Um, and then, you know... And then, his wife would be Kristen Stewart. Or oh, God. Kristen Stewart. You know what? Honestly, I'm going to put this out there, you know, just like Kristen Slater did and just, uh-huh. put, you know... Yeah. Um, Kristen Stewart can suck my balls. And I don't mean that in a good way. <laughs> you know, I had kind of wanted to talk about this picture... But mostly, I think the Glenn Shaddix came, thing came up because everybody should see the Applegates. That is such a weird-ass movie. It is the weirdest of pictures, and I don't know if you can even find it anymore. I bet you Because it was, it was rare, like, a couple years after it came out. Sure. I don't think it was ever put on DVD. Really? Yeah. Um, but I thought everything was on DVD at this point. <laughs> it's got Stocker Channing, Ed Begley Jr., and... Uh, Who's the... Daphne Coleman. Daphne Coleman. But there, there's Daphne the Coleman is Aunt B. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, <laughs> who's the kids in that movie? I can't remember who the girl is. The boy's like Bobby Jacoby or something. <laughs> That's, you know, stellar star of stage and screen. Of course. So anyway, um, but anyway the Applegates. It was, um, it was Michael Lehman's movie After Heathers. Um, and it's like uh, Michael Lehman gone crazy. And he makes this, uh, it's like maybe the first movie I can remember, first fiction movie, that was really like all about the eco message. Sure. Okay, here's the setup. Is Ed Begley Jr., Stalker Channing, and their two kids are bugs that from the Amazon jungle that somehow are able to take human form. Sure. And they go to live in Ohio to get back at humanity because they're building a because this company that's based in Ohio is building a road through their forest in, in the Amazon. This old chestnut. How have we not seen this in so many movies before? <sighs> Anyway, but okay, so I can't, I, it just agrees with my odd humor, like, because then of course, you know, they get sucked into suburbia, and sure. they start becoming good little consumers and everything. It's almost like, in a way, and I hate to interrupt you, I, and God, if anybody listened to it last week, I am going to do this, <laughs> um, but it's almost like the Coneheads. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so go ahead. Um, but uh, but I, I will never forget the scene where uh, Stalker Channing is trying to buy stuff off of um, the Home Shopping Channel, and she has to argue with them because they don't accept Discover. For some reason, even <laughs> when I was like 14, I thought that was the funniest shit ever. And I could never get over the fact that Dabney Coleman is the queen bug named Aunt B with a mustache, and he's, he spends the entire movie in drag. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, like really outrageous dresses. <laughs> but anyway, and so I just for its oddity, it's fantastic. See if you can go find Meet the Applegates because it actually is a. It's one of the weirder movies, and you, it's one of those movies where you think when you watch it, you go, 
you know, okay, sure, I'm, I'm sure this didn't really cost a whole lot of money. No. But how did somebody at some studio go, yeah, let's do that. Let's make the Apple Gates. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm what? sure somebody's just said, well, Lehman just did Heather's, and that was weird, <laughs> but it made some money. So we'll let them do the Apple Gates? <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, I guess. But if you can find it, watch it because it's worth it. If it, you've got kind of a quirky sense of humor. Exactly. But see, the thing is, I compared it to the, to the Coneheads. It's better than the Coneheads by far. Right. Because the Coneheads was such obvious, just bullshit. Yeah. You know, whatever. But it's, a, it's on a similar, it's a similar storyline. But on a quirky path. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway. So, fair enough. Segwaying from that back to Heather's. Yes. Oh, man, Phil. We're going to have to take a little bit of time with this movie because this was one of my favorite movies growing up. Of course. And this, I think it either A, influenced my sense of humor and or sensibilities. Yes. Or B, highlighted them. And yeah. I'm not sure which it was. <laughs> I'm really not. Well, I think, I think for, I think for a, a generation of moviegoers... It's it's pretty seminal. It's yeah. pretty great. And I mean, for me, like I I can't it's hard for me to watch it now just because Christian Slater's so obviously doing a Jack Nicholson impression and uh and what have you, but like I will never get over the principle. The principle oh, yeah. is the funniest part of that movie. Sure, sure. You know what I can never remember her name, but he's like Thank you, Miss Moonlight. You'll call me when the shuttle lands. Yeah, yeah. It's the funniest shit ever. Yeah, well, and the thing about that movie that uh, it surprises me a little bit, looking yeah. back at it, uh -huh. is that I wasn't even... When I first <laughs> saw that movie, I wasn't even in high school. Uh -huh. And I related to it enough to just love it. Right. And, and then when I watched it later on, I went, oh, shit, this is really... I mean, it's exaggerated, <laughs> right? But it's not comically like overblown exaggerated. Yeah, uh, true. Um, but uh, interesting story because uh, I have like the special edition, and so it's got all these interviews. Apparently, Daniel Waters, who is one of the best working dark comedy writers sure. in Hollywood, sure. um, uh, said that he wrote it to be the end-all, be-all of high school movies. Yeah. And that he wanted Stanley Kubrick to do it. Really? Because, because he thought that Stanley Kubrick always takes a genre picture and, and makes the best of it. So he made the best war movie and he made the best horror movie and, sure. and et cetera and et cetera. Yeah. And so he wanted, he wanted Stanley Kubrick to do this because he thought it was the best and the most game-changing high school movie. I because can actually kind of course, see that. I mean, Heather's is a repudiation of John Hughes. That's what oh, it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It says, fuck you, John Hughes. This is yeah, what high school This is, is what high school really is. This is not, this is not funny guys, you know, hanging out on the port, or on the lawn, you know, long duck dong, hanging out going, uh, you know, oh, you know, me need food. It's yeah. not, it's not that. It's, this is what high school really is. But it was a little bit exaggerated. Yeah. The thing is, though, is it was not too much exaggerated. Well, sure. I mean, but it, it's, 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 again, quirky and funnily uh, done. Like, I mean, it's so perfect when they're like, mineral water? They were fat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best touch I love ever. my dead gay son. 
love a dead gay sign. I love the. I mean, they're just some brilliant little moments. I like. Uh, fuck me if I hear "Kumbaya" one more time. <laughs> well, and the thing that's, uh, I mean, one of one of the best parts of that movie is that uh, the tone of that movie is so. It's almost like dreamy. Right. And it's it gets really fuzzy and I think at some points you're left to wonder uh, especially in the beginning uh, whether Winona is dreaming it or not. Yeah. Well, and cuz I always remember like when like when they um, I think it's when they feed the girl maybe it's the first one. I can't remember if it's when they stab the girl or when they give her Drano. But it's really fuzzy. And it's blue, and you're yeah. not sure whether it's a dream sequence or not. I think you're thinking of where they give her the Drano. Yeah, maybe. Because he just writes down on the, he takes the little index card and he goes, fuck the, this life or something. <laughs> or, fuck life. And, you know, the thing is that, about that movie, though, that I thought was very well done, at least, was that um, they could have really gone in the direction of making Christian Slater just this complete and total psycho of throughout the whole movie. It turns out that he was a very obviously disturbed individual. Right. Um, but they didn't go all over, all, all out and make him just this, just uh, psychotic, you know. Right. Whatever. <laughs> and so. <laughs> he was a well balanced psycho. He was a functioning psychotic. Exactly. I always I, I I love the ending of that movie when he blows himself up on the steps and she just kind of stands there and then walks away. Well, you know who I always well, the one sort of semi minor character that I always loved was Christian Slater's dad. He was like, he, and he was sitting there on the treadmill with the little squeezy like uh, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. whatever, clamp or whatever hand thing, and he was like, yeah, those. Bitches in Kansas City, they got theirs, didn't they, or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome because he's got all this money in him, whatever, and he's this nutcase. And I'm like, the thing is, is that you got to think there, there are people out there that actually are like that. Yeah. You know? Well, I tell you, speaking of their parents, um, I think They're, the most quoted line for me in like history outside of Clue is that scene with is those scenes with with her and her parents with Sister Gloria? <laughs> Sister Gloria, every single line I can tell you every single line. She has. <laughs> I love. I mean, they're just so great, you know. Because you're an idiot. Oh yeah. You know. You too. <laughs> okay. If, if 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 you're a new listener, which if you are, God bless you. But uh, when we're talking about Sister Gloria, the actress that played Winona Ryder's mom in Heather's played uh, a character called Sister Gloria. In Night of the Demons 2, which is... And please review one of the old podcasts we I, talked about. It. God, I can't remember which one, but whatever it was, we're gonna, we talked about it at great length. Well, the, I, I, you'll be able to find it on podcastmachine.com slash 1492 by the fact that there's a photo of Sister Gloria next There is. Her. There's a nun with nunchucks, it looks like. It no, no, it, she's swinging the rosary. Right, I know. It looks like nunchucks, but okay. it's not. Okay. It's so, and then on iTunes also, you can find it. It's... Uh, I don't remember which one because there's no pictures on iTunes, I think. But self promotion over, um, <laughs> which we can maybe do some more self promotion. But anyway, uh, the mom from Heather's, Winona Ryder's mom from Heather's, plays Sister Gloria in Night of the Demons Two, best horror movie ever fucking made. Um, and then I'm gonna take it back to Phil, who has lines from Winona Ryder's mom. <laughs> what? 
I don't. Did I, did I lose you? Okay. <laughs> Why what, do I what, smoke what? these damn things? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I mean, all she ever says is you too. Well, and then the, the, when she walks in and Winona Ryder has hung herself... Supposedly, <laughs> and oh, she starts oh, freaking I should have out. Have you to the mall. She was like, "I can't. I should have let you take that job at the mall, but I thought you'd be home too late." And oh my god! And then, <laughs> and then Winona Ryder starts pulling it off of her neck and unhooking the thing from her belt, and she's like, "God, mom, why so tense?" And her mom's just sitting there looking at her like, uh, you know? <laughs> and then, the, oh god, one of the best, one of the best lines in that movie that. That I don't know where, like, I don't know why this line works, but it does. Yeah. Winona Ryder is going off about how adults treat teenagers like crap. Uh-huh. And she's like, you either treat us like we're children or you patronize us like bunny rabbits. And uh, she says, I don't patronize bunny rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, and I remember thinking that line actually works, but then if you think about it later, you go... Who does? Like, you know, you're a very good student, Bunny Rabbit. You know what I mean? Come on, what the fuck? You know? Who does patronize Bunny Rabbits? <laughs> well, we're running out of time, so is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, for Heathers? Uh, or are Heathers we moving on to the next one? Picture. Yeah, no, let's go to the next one. Let's do the next one. Fuck it, man. Come on. I got tons of distance. Well, what do you want to fucking talk about, goddammit? Well, let's do this one. We'll save this one for later. Okay. Okay. So, Not later, but next time. On the, <laughs> uh, in the theme of our great '80s horrid pictures, this was sort of the this was sort of the epitome, I think, wasn't it? The one, the best one we could come well, up with. Well, it's the epitome, maybe, of action, but there are a lot to choose from. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, too many Chuck Norris pictures were mm. released in that decade. Yeah. Um, but this is probably, arguably, the worst Arnold Schwarzenegger picture. Uh, worst in the sense of cheesiest and like just well what's worse honestly what's worse maybe Red mm, Sonia yeah or Red what's the hell that movie Raw Deal Raw Deal might not yeah Raw Deal or even um, the one where he's in Russia what's the one where he's a Russian with Jim Belushi that's Raw Deal is that Raw Deal I thought it was or is there another one titled Red? I think there is. Anyway. Whatever, anyway. Uh, we're, we're, we're so the movie we're right. discussing, obviously, is since we just lifted off the other bad ones, and is. this one is obviously missing, is <laughs> Commando. Yes, Commando. The movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger, to use your line from before, <laughs> defeats an entire South American country in, in about... about 15 minutes by himself. Yes. I mean, I just love that he's standing like on those steps and there's this lawn out in front of him and like the entire army of, you know, El Salvador comes running at him and he just... Yeah. And they all just fall over and die. Yeah. Well... But it goes on forever. That last scene? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Well, let's break this down from the beginning. Here's what we got. We got Arnold Schwarzenegger in, like, uh, somewhere in the... I w- and I always thought of it as Colorado, because it's the mountains. Right. And it looks like Colorado, Could I guess. Could be California. Yeah, maybe Northern California somewhere. Um, but he's up there in the, in the woods, 
in the fucking in his cabin, and he's he's doing all these real cliched things. He's chopping wood. He's uh, you know, he's hauling water. He's and then the thing is, is that is so forced. And Alyssa Milano yes. is his daughter. How that works out genetically, I don't know. I'm not really sure how that works either, but you know. Uh, I don't want to know either. Between him and Maria Shriver and Melissa, Alyssa Milano and... Yeesh. You are my daughter. You are my daughter. I'm not sure where you came from, but I love you. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, that was weird. Um, so, okay, he's up there doing these real stu- super stupid cliche things. He's chopping wood. He's playing with his daughter, which was the most forced fucking horrific scenes because they're having ice cream and and she smushes it on his nose and he goes ha 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 (laughs) you know know, it's like it's so bad and he's like he picks her up he's like oh we are having fun (laughs) are you having fun are you having fun with my massive biceps (laughs) come on so they have this horrid, horrid montage of them just loving each other. Mm-hmm. And um, so then the army shows up and they're like, we need you to do some new job. Uh, that, you know, we know you retired. You were the best. The whole cliche yeah, yeah. bullshit. And he's like, no, I retired. I retired from the U.S. Army because I grew up in Illinois. And I obviously joined the Army when I was 17 years old. You know, <laughs> I'm going to do the accent you know, the whole time. It's funny. There, there comes a time in every like foreign action star's career where they get asked to play characters that no longer fit their type. Like, I remember reading a review. I think it was Sudden Death. Yeah. Uh, for Jean-Claude that said it's probably not soon enough to have him playing characters called like, you know, Mark McPatrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With that fucking French accent. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So they go to try and recruit uh, Schwarzenegger and he says, you know, he's not going to do it. So then he gets, um, he gets, uh, he's doing something in his, and these, these guys come in, they kidnap his daughter, they take her away and they give him a certain amount of time. I remember, and I can't remember what it was. They give him a certain amount of time before right. they mm-hmm. kill her. Right. And he sets his watch. And that was like a big seminal moment. He like takes this military watch, he sets it. And then he goes to find his daughter, god damn it. And, um, and he's got to kill the bald, mustachioed Latin general. You're yeah, right. And then so he, he, goes, he goes to the airport and he has this... Well, okay, I'm trying to remember the, <laughs> No, I'm trying to remember the sequence this movie all, rema- all blurs. It does. Me. Well, and then he has that weird scene in the mall where he's trying to find out where this one guy is going. Oh, I remember. Because it was the guy who was real horny, but he was like the, the, the henchman. Right. So yeah, he yeah. goes to the mall to the bar in the mall to try to pick up chicks. <laughs> I'm like, wow. It's the 80s. Oh, God. So he tries to, the guy tries to pick up Radon Chong. Remember? Yeah. And the guy that tried, I think, and I could be wrong. (coughs) Anybody out there, if I am wrong, let me know. It's the guy who, this is one of those, quote unquote, those guys. 
The guy that was really the horny guy who tries to pick up Radon Chong is the same guy from Last Boy Scout who Bruce Willis kills with the heel to the hand next to the pool. Am I right? Or no? I've never seen Last Boy Scout. Phil, I am no longer friends with you. Oh, come on! Okay, so anyway, uh, Commando, he has this big weird uh, chase scene in the mall <laughs> and he... I remember that he jumps onto this big balloon yeah, and slides down a balloon mm. and then he tips over a Porsche off the side of the cliff. <laughs> and, I and don't know. I, no, I just remember all these scenes where it was Arnold Schwarzenegger being like Arnold Schwarzenegger and that's it. Yeah. And then he, and with Radon Chong, she was trying to somehow be this sort of foil to Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. And she's, she was sort of the panicky you know, cause she was a, she was a flight attendant. Am I right? <laughs> it sounds right to me. Yeah. And they, 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 there was this yellow Porsche and they, they chased him down and the, and Schwarzenegger's like, I would throw you off the cliff if you don't tell me where she is. <laughs> and, and then the guy's like, okay, 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 okay. And they took her down to the, the thing to, to fly her <laughs> off to this foreign country. And he's like, Okay, thank you. I'm now flo- fo- falling, or I'm now pushing you off the cliff anyway. And he throws the Porsche off the cliff. Yeah. Okay. I... I've been dominating this. Do you have any impressions so I, far of, well, of, of Commando? Honestly, my, my memory of Commando is rather limited. I think I might be blocking it a little bit. <laughs> it's like one of those, uh, you know, molestation memories that one just forgets. Ooh, that's a totally separate podcast, Phil. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm just no, I'm, I'm equating Commando okay, with good. child molestation because Mark L. Lester, <laughs> who I think directed it, correct me if I'm wrong, I felt molested by him <laughs> because he made me watch that movie. <laughs> Director I felt the touched in bad places, okay? <laughs> Oh, and though, uh, and Schwarzenegger uh, got to kill Bill Duke, hey, uh, in the hotel room, remember? Yeah, and a weird, Bill oddly Duke. sort of, huh? Bill Duke. Bill Duke, yeah, big, uh, dark, uh, real dark black guy. Yeah. Oh, and uh, the dir- odd- was he? He's like the director of Hoodlum, isn't he? I think so. Oh, and another odd connection: Bill Duke was also in what other movie with Schwarzenegger? Predator, right? Very good, Phil. You're on it tonight, man. Woo! There you go, I buddy. I don't know what that was. but anyway. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so... <coughs> uh, long story short-ish. Too late. Okay. Um, <laughs> Schwarzenegger somehow gets down to this South American country where his daughter's being held hostage. He proceeds to annihilate 90% of the population. And it's actually really, really... I mean, if you watch it, and, you know, 80s movies were great for the one guy just blown away a bunch of people. Yeah. I mean, there was Rambo. There was, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger and whatever his movies. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, there was a bunch of these guys. But Commando is really, really, really ridiculous about it. Yeah. Because literally... Every single bullet that he fires hits some South American soldier and knocks them down and kills them. There are literally people pouring out of buildings. And Schwarzenegger doesn't even have 
uh, bulletproof vest on. He doesn't have. <laughs> he doesn't have. He's anything. not behind any cover. He's not behind any cover. He's literally walking around with two guns, just pointing them at people. And his big dramatic action is that when something happens over that, like supposedly is not in his line of sight. He snaps his head over. And that's like his big dramatic movement. Uh-huh. And then he swings over and shoots a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. It's one of the best pictures ever made. It is. And if you have not seen Commando, then you Don't. need... Well, <laughs> no, actually, you need to see Commando. A, I have three reasons you need okay. to see Commando. Three reasons. Yeah. Okay. The awesomeness that is Schwarzenegger annihilating an entire country... Awesomeness slash ridiculousness. Yes. Okay. Okay. Radon Chong, uh, in this weird nighty thing that for some reason when I was a kid a little bit turned me on, but also turned me off. <laughs> I was very undecided about that. <laughs> when I was sort of like going into my formative years, I was thinking, I'm not sure if I like that or not. It was kind of cool, but like, <laughs> I'm not sure. I was very confused by it. Also, Alyssa Milano, who... Turned into a very beautiful woman at the same time as a 12-year-old kid. And me, in the age group that I'm in, I always think of Melissa, uh, Alyssa Milano as this very beautiful, like, sort of full-grown woman. But you see her in that and you go, uh, and then it associates in your head and you go, <laughs> I am going to jail. It's... <laughs> oh my God, you're going to kill me. I think I just killed Phil. This is... <laughs> this is, this is going to be a solo podcast next week. <laughs> but no, it's a, those are the three reasons. And then, oh, and also the fact that he throws a fucking Porsche upside down. That, that was cool, too. Of course. Okay. So, Bill. Yes. Commando. Any impressions? <laughs> I already told you I felt molested. Okay, well, okay. Here's what, here, here's the, here's what we're going to do. Uh, Commando, uh, it will molest you. I will molest Alyssa Milano. <laughs> Radon Chong, weirdly, oddly, uh, turning on and off <laughs> at, at the, the same, same time. time. And Arnold Schwarzenegger flipping over a Porsche. Masterpiece. What could you want? Masterpiece. Now, our last bit is we finally, we're bringing back our trailers mm-hmm. for one night only. A limited engagement. We're going to talk. It's a limited run. We're going to talk. Get your tickets now. About Wall Street. Money never sleeps. Oh, Wall Street. See, now Wall Street, I'll give a little bit of background. I'm not going to go off too much. But Wall Street, I love Wall Street. I, In fact, I would have to, I would venture to say that Wall Street is my favorite Oliver Stone movie. I wouldn't say that. But it is, a, it is if you want to know the late 80s, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the trailer... Uh, it pays a little funny homage to it when and one cellular phone when he's yeah. the giant brick. Right, right. Um, but uh, honestly, it looks so ridiculous that I can't. I can't help thinking that a a, a great American director has finally shit out. Well, but see, the thing is, for me, is that I never really considered. I. I don't know if I really ever considered Oliver Stone a great American director. Of course he... Well, of the last... For the... Well, barring the last 10 years, for 20 years, he was the voice of American cinema. He was the voice of the boomer generation, I think. 
with the with the Vietnam stuff, with the Wall Street stuff, with natural born killers. He voiced all the fears and 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 uh, and dreams and what have you of that generation, of his generation, the Vietnam generation. Okay, well, I mean, I can understand where you're coming from. I I don't necessarily know if I agree with it, but I can understand why you would say that. Right. My thing is, is that I my thing is with Oliver Stone is was is that I always thought that it was so overblown. Well, that's for sure. Um, but anyway, that's just my opinion about that. We'll go back to the trailer, because let's talk about the trailer. Okay, uh, Shia LaBeouf, why, God, why? Oh my God, really? <laughs> Oscar-nominated Carrie Mulligan manages to make Wall Street 2 her follow-up, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And Michael Douglas looking old! Mummified, basically. Yes. Yeah, and Sh- Gordon Gecko is his role. It's like the epitome of Michael Douglas. Sure, every th- almost everything since has been an echo of Gordon. Sure, yeah, especially no, feel- the worst. You know, like essentially transplanted Gordon Gecko was uh, Perfect Murder. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, but- no, I, I I have no arguments whatsoever. This is not going to be a very interesting conversation because I'm like, yes, you're right. Phil, you're absolutely right. <laughs> but anyway, so Michael's trying to recapture some glory. But see, I, the I, thing is, is how... Okay, here's my question. And I'm going to completely interrupt you and I... You know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you take Gordon Gecko, who was in that movie, in Wall Street 1, I guess now, <laughs> yeah. um, the, 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 the epitome of the slick... Uh, guy who who had whatever he wanted. He did whatever he wanted. Right. He he made the deals he wanted. He was like he he told people what to do. He blah 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 blah. Uh-huh. You're gonna make him into a more or less geriatric sort of father figure to Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. What the fuck? That's basically well, saying that the Gordon Gecko character can go fuck himself. We'll have to see the picture. It looks ridiculous in the trailer. And I know Oliver's just trying to be topical. I get it. You know, Wall Street came out around the time of the 87 crash and when things were going bad in finance last time. And this one obviously comes out in a time of financial turmoil as well. So obviously he's trying to make a commentary, uh, which I think every one of his fucking pictures does at some point. But um, Well, sure. I mean, But I just don't know. It's like... Why, for me, the question becomes, Wall Street was so good. A, to comment on this one, all you need to do is go back and re-release the old one. You didn't need to make a sequel. Nobody was asking for it. The movie didn't need it. It's going to be a little silly. Yeah, but see, and see, the, the thing that I, I understand, like, I, my thing is, is that I understand the reasoning behind it. Right. Said, is that, okay, fine, you know. There was a time there where it was this real specific snapshot of time mm-hmm. where somebody who was the um, was the uh, the hotshot Wall Street guy right. who was whatever that was a real snapshot in time. Uh-huh. Okay, and I can see how it would relate to now, uh-huh. but at the same time, I don't understand how you would go and say that you're going to sort of by proxy. Sully, that movie, which was a great movie that so many people love, <laughs> yeah. by making a movie that even if it was still a good movie, Could never couldn't be. live up to it. Right. 
You know what I mean? I would well, never cause, do cause that. Because Wall Street's pretty towering. You know, in, in kind of recent film history, you know, it, it may be great, it may be not, but it, it really stands as a signpost for the late 80s. Sure. And it, everybody knows it. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is, it's like, if you make a movie, if you're lucky enough and or good enough, mm-hmm. and I think it has a, a bit to do with both. Right. If, if you're good enough and or lucky enough to make a movie that's iconical about a certain part of either A, American culture, a certain time in America, a certain time in any part of the world, whether it's America or not, don't fuck with it. Yeah. As tempting as it is, don't fuck with it. <laughs> and especially if you're going to fuck with it, don't fuck with it with Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> what the fuck, man? I don't know. Oh, God. So we'll have to see the picture. It comes out in a couple months. But obviously our impressions of the trailer so far are a bit negative. Yeah, we're not exactly big fans right now. So if you have an opinion about Wall Street... Or if you're Oliver Stone (laughs) and you want to let us know what you think about it, let us know. Exactly. I'd love to hear from you, Oliver. I'd love to talk about the JFK assassination. Not really. But anyway. Oh, God. um, Let's get you started. Why don't you email us at... Can you FBI at gmail.com? And once again, I will make a joke that hasn't been made for a while. We have nothing to do with the actual FBI. It's can you FBI at gmail.com because we didn't deci- we decided that it was too fucking much to ask you people to <laughs> type in can you fucking believe it? <laughs> so yeah. Now I'm condescending to our audience. Great. <laughs> anyway, can- we just lost 10 fucking listeners because of you. Oi. Um, so can you FBI gmail.com you can find us at podcastmachine.com slash podcast slash 1492 you can also find us on iTunes yes and where else can you find us on the moon on the moon yes okay we're going to the moon people <laughs> people road trip next time you hear a podcast it's going to be from the moon <laughs> it will be filled with lots of little bleep, bloop, bloop. Right, exactly. Bleep. It'll be very muffled because they have those big, giant fishbowl headsets. <laughs> those head- Or maybe it'll just sound like we're coming through walkie-talkies. <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> uh, 10-4, big buddy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for giving me the <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Airplane 2 oh, in here. Shh, shh. Oh. <laughs> I hear a nighter in there. Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? <laughs> okay, so Phil, uh, you know what? At this point, uh, my voice is shot. Uh, I don't know. Obviously. And so we're done, I think. <laughs> um, what? Uh, any kind of final thoughts at all? Oscars? Oh! Oh! Don't make fun of me. Oh! You sent me that CNN article about the, uh, the Oscar. We have to do this. We'll just take a couple seconds. <gasps> okay. The Oscar always goes to America's Sweetheart. Yes, uh, that was what CNN uh, posited today, was that every time America's Sweetheart does something at least somewhat serious that's good, they win. And they offered up uh, lots of back evidence uh, from uh, Goldie Hawn in in Cactus Flower and and Sally uh, Field and Norma Ray and Julia Roberts and Aaron Brockovich, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Their point was that they were agreeing with me that Sandra Bullock would win Best Actress. And you know what? Reading the article and seeing the, the uh, evidence that was offered, mm-hmm. 
I honestly have to agree. I really do. And uh, uh, who the who was the one that I picked for best actress? Was it you picked uh, Gabrielle Sidibe, the the chick from Precious? Right, right. Okay, so I honestly think my opinion has been swung a little bit because, and not only because of the article or whatever, but then I was thinking about it just in my and I was thinking, you know, you can read an article and you can think, oh, what a bunch of bullshit, and I don't agree with that, whatever. But I was thinking about it and I went, God, you know, I didn't really think of that before, and yeah. it's really true. So I'm going to officially, at this point, on the podcast, change my mind and say that I will say that Sandra Bullock is the front runner for the, uh, the Best Actress Oscar. And Phil is awesome. And Phil is awesome. All right. And Can Phil- you fucking believe it? We're done! Woohoo!